Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Listen for what God is saying to you. Lord spoke to Philip. At noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem, where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage. The spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you really understand what you are reading? The man replied, without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb up and sit with him. This was the passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants, because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, about whom does this prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water, what could keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, where Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Lord's spirit suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus. He traveled throughout, through that area, preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. May God add a blessing to the understanding and living out of the scripture. God, we thank you for the gift that it is to come together on a beautiful day like this to pause and breathe deeply uh, the breath of your spirit. We ask that your spirit would in fact be present here among us because strange and wonderful things can happen when we open ourselves to its movement. Help us to be people who leave this space not only just a little bit more knowledgeable about the way that your word is at work in our lives, but moved to embody it in the ways that you lead. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I practice the religion of my colonizers. These were the words of Jessica Vasquez-Torres, a facilitator of the retreat um, that our anti-racism team is attending right now. I practice the religion of my colonizers, she said, the ones who enslaved my ancestors and displaced our identities. It was not an admission of shame or guilt, but a statement of hard fact, naming what is painful and true. 
making us sit with the complicated history of Western Christianity. What kind of Jesus is the one that stands approving as young Indians have their mother tongues cut out? Whose likeness rides on the bow of a slave ship, on the banner of a charging army, on the slick marketing materials, selling bracelets that call upon us to ask what he would do? Buy one, of course. This colonizing Jesus is not the Jesus that we embrace at Urban Village Church, but we'd be fooling ourselves if we pretended that our Christianity came to us pure, undefiled, and free of this Jesus. I practice the religion of colonizers. is a hard pill to swallow. But in the same way that admitting we have a problem is foundational to confronting our addictions, I suspect that speaking this painful, ugly truth about our tradition's history out loud might be the first step in learning how to do evangelism in ways that align us with the values we say that we hold at UBC. And so this, along with the bullhorn screeching and hateful sign holding beyond the religious tracts and the journey down Romans Road, you might begin to wonder, as many have, if there's anything left to salvage of this distorted legacy. Well, I'd say the answer is in the room. <laughs> many of us have, in spite of this legacy, been, made, been moved, have been made whole, have been brought to life, somehow stirred by something about Jesus and his message of good but not easy news. What are we to do with a complicated reality like this? Well, let me tell you how grateful I am for our scripture passage today. Because here, in this passage, we begin to have an idea of what it might look like to decolonize evangelism. To share about the brown Palestinian state-executed political and religious dissenter named Jesus, who died and rose again. The deacon Philip, fresh off a, a successful big tent revival in Samaria, doesn't even get a chance to catch his breath before the Holy Spirit calls him to, to not another, I practice the religion of my colonizers, but to, oh, sorry, calls him to another, not to another stadium where he can wow the masses with his powerful words and acts, but rather to a desert road where he might be lucky to catch a few folks maybe taking a break at a truck stop. It ain't nobody but Philip on the t and the tumbleweeds on that road. But he's out there because he's going where he was told to go. And meanwhile, there's this person, the author of Acts, uh, takes care to describe him. An Ethiopian, which is to say a racial minority in the Near East. A eunuch, which is to say a sexual minority whose gender identity was fluid. They controlled the treasury of the queen, which means that they were politically powerful and wealthy. And there's one more detail that might be easy to miss uh, in the intersections of all of those identities that kind of get lifted up. They were returning, this eunuch was returning from Jerusalem where they had gone to worship, which is to say that they are a spiritual seeker. And all of this comes traveling down the same desert road that Philip is hanging out in. The carriage comes into view and the spirit tells Philip, go to that carriage, catch it and stay with it. And I have this image of Philip like running behind the carriage as fast as he can, trying to catch up to the carriage, running alongside it, and somehow above the noise of the hoofbeats of the horses and the clackety-clack of the wheels, he hears this eunuch reading from the prophet writings, prophetic writings of Isaiah chapter 53. 
And it is in this encounter where I see and know and am reminded why evangelism, why sharing witness to God's work among us is so important. Because in spite of all the other stuff that has perverted, distorted, and undermined the message of the gospel, it still has the power for healing, for meaning-making, and life-giving transformation. It cannot be ripped away from it, even in the midst of all the ugliness that it has been wrapped in. This Ethiopian eunuch was just the beginning of countless such stories. Now, some of you may have heard that uh, Dr. James Hal Cohn died Saturday of last week. Dr. Cohn is known as the father of black liberation theology. And it was in his scholarship, shaped by his experiences of growing up in Jim Crow South, where strange fruit hung from southern trees, it was in that reality which, which intersected with his spiritual and theological imagi- imagination where he saw that the cross and the lynching tree were one and the same. is my story. It's, it's, it's the story of black people. That's the only way I can talk about it. See, when people ask me to tell my, tell my story, that's what I tell. Now, my story may not be your story. I've been all over the world, in India and in Sri Lanka and, and in Africa. I've been all over the place where people did not have that as that dominant symbol. But they wanted, they wanted to hear my story. When I tell my story, that's what I tell. But then I want people to tell me that story. Right. What I do know is religion is always the search for meaning for people who are weak and powerless, and it connects me with people all over the world. That's why I want to hear these people's stories. I want to hear the stories because I know God is not without witness all over the world. And God speaks in many tongues, in many places. I know where God is present when I see little people, the least of these, affirming their humanity in situations where they have few resources to do that. That power is what I mean by the cross. And you say the cross and the lynching tree interpret each other. Both were public spectacles, usually reserved for hardened criminals, rebellious slaves, rebels against the Roman state, and falsely accused militant blacks who were often called black beasts and monsters in human form. So how do the cross and the lynching tree interpret each other? It keeps the lynchers from having the last word. The lynching tree interprets the cross. It keeps the cross out of the hands of those who are dominant. Nobody who is lynching anybody can understand the cross. That's why it's so important to place the cross and the lynching tree together because the cross, uh, the crucifixion, was analogous to a first century lynching. In fact, biblical scholars, when they want to describe what was happening to Jesus, many of them said it was a lynching. And all I want to suggest is if American Christians say they want to identify with that cross, They have to see the cross as a mention. What if we look at Acts 8 and Isaiah 53 from the perspective of the eunuch? 
At a temple stall, you purchase a passage of scripture, one about a man of sorrow who is acquainted with grief. And you're curious about this person. You read the words. He was like a sheep being led to be killed. He was quiet as a lamb is quiet while its wool is being cut. He never opened his mouth. He was shamed and was treated unfairly. He died without children to continue his family. His life on earth has ended. You read it again and then again. It's like you're looking in a mirror. Now, Dr. Cohn wrote The Cross and the Lynching Tree, but one wonders if the Ethiopian eunuch might have written The Castration and the Crown. The story of a boy snatched or sold whose body was stolen before it was fully his own. What if this was you? Taken from home and parents, taken to another country, held down and operated on as you lay frozen with fear. You felt the searing pain of castration and suffer a long recovery. You grew up, but never experienced puberty. As boys matured, you did not change in the same ways. You began your work in the royal court amidst privilege, comfort. You longed to be in a family again and even to have your own children, but you were busy and unable. Non-eunuchs in the court respected and mocked you, sometimes at the same time. They envied your elevated status in the palace and jeered you for being less than a man. You felt rejected and alone. You grew sick often and grew fragile because you lacked testosterone. Your bones grew brittle, your heart grew bitter. You begin to search for some kind of meaning. The Jewish people seem to have a strong sense of self. Perhaps that's a place to start. You visit a synagogue, but are immediately confronted with the fact that there is no place for you in this worship space where women stand there and men stand here and children are back there. There's no place for someone who falls between the binary. And you might have given up if it weren't for these powerful words that you're now reading. He was shamed and treated unfairly. He died without children to continue his family. His life on earth has ended. Is this prophet speaking of himself or someone else? This is my story. And there, perhaps right in the midst of your wondering, you realize there's a guy running next to your carriage who shouts up to you, do you understand what you're reading? It's all so bizarre. So you invite the man into your carriage and ask him to guide you. And he tells you the story of this man named Jesus, who was a Jew, who preached a message of inclusion and belonging to those who had been told that they didn't fit, who had been told that they didn't, weren't worthy. He told how this same man had been punished for his message, how he had suffered and was put to death for it. But somehow he rose to life. He had ascended into heaven but before doing so, had instructed his followers to share this powerful story and baptize as many people who wanted to follow in this same way. What a strange and wonderful story. And it was so powerful that the eunuch wanted to get baptized right away, and lo and behold, what should appear but a body of water. Philip baptizes him, and almost simultaneously, the eunuch is filled with joy, and Philip disappears, whisked away by the Spirit to continue his work. 
Now, there are a lot of things I could say about this story when it comes to sharing the message of the gospel. But the main thing that I want you to hear from Dr. Cohn and from our Ethiopian friend, it's this. Everyone, especially those on the margins of a community, those who are dismissed, ridiculed, discarded, and denied justice, everyone has a story that somehow intersects with the story of Jesus. Everyone longs to know that they are loved, that they belong, that they, that they can have courage enough to face the pain of this world, to face the pain that they are experiencing and make it through to the other side. How many of us are in the midst of that pain, squarely in the middle of it? We can make it through to the other side. And Philip, a gold star evangelist, shows us what an uncolonized evangelism looks like. He did not come to the desert road with a plan. He did not plan to go to the desert. (laughs) What he did do was demonstrate three things. The first was availability. First and foremost, Philip consistently made himself available to the Spirit's leading. He didn't act until he was instructed by the Spirit. He put himself in places where he could encounter people that he wouldn't normally encounter and then he invited them into relationship. And so secondly, he, he, he demonstrates a kind of curiosity, right? Even when he was caught up, to, even when he caught up to the carriage and he heard the eunuch reading, and this is the part that I think is most instructive for us as people who carry that legacy or that baggage of colonization, right? When Philip heard the eunuch reading, he didn't say, let me tell you what this means. Instead, he asked a question, do you understand? Do you understand what you're reading? He waited to be invited in. And finally, Philip was inclusive. Philip, no doubt, clarified for the eunuch the way that their story intersected with God's story. I mean, God was already at work in that. And so moved, uh, when they came across this water, the eunuch says, what would keep me from being baptized? In this day and age, for someone who falls between gender binaries, we could imagine some responses to that, right? You might remember the question that Diamond lifted up last week the one that is um, lifted up uh, just a couple of chapters later in Acts 10. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? And it was eunuchs, it was encounters like these with the eunuch and and even before uh, with the Samaritan population, a a marginalized population that practiced what most Jews considered a bastardized form of the faith. And after the eunuch, um, the spirit takes Philip to, to a centurion, someone who is the representative of Roman militaristic dominance and power. What would keep them from being baptized? Philip's response isn't, well, first you need to start out this whole like lifestyle, you know, dress a bit more manly, maybe try to lower your voice a little, cross your legs a little less tightly. Once you've got that figured out, then we can talk about baptism. God's message has no border walls. It requires no documentation, consists of no checkpoints or pat-downs. There are no phone calls made to police because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. There is no wrong time or place when it comes to God's welcome and God's love. It is understandable, even legitimate, that someone might feel a little squeamish about the idea of evangelism as we've understood it, right? But we see today that evangelism is not about trying to convince something, someone of something that they don't want to be convinced of. It's about picking up where God is leaving the breadcrumbs for you 
It's not even about telling someone what the truth is. Our passage today reminds us that evangelism isn't about us, right? And what we have to bring as much as, much as it's about helping others discover where their truth intersects. It might be about sharing how I understand my story intersects with God's story. But we leave it there. It's up to God to pick up the rest. It's about those who are waiting and wanting to be transformed, waiting and wanting to, to, to be told how there's a God who knows their story, who meets them in it and calls them to greater belonging, to greater and more abundant life, to courage, to help others know the same. That is good news worth sharing.